Well, today we finish up our uh, six-week series on Romans 12 called Let Love Be Genuine. And as we've been looking at Romans 12, what we've been looking at is Paul's, I believe, incredibly succinct and yet also very comprehensive description of genuine love, as he calls it, or what it means to grow into to take on the mind of Christ. Everything that Paul describes in Romans 12 is exemplified in the person of Jesus. And when Paul prays for us to grow up into the one who is our head, when Paul prays for us to have the mind of Christ, which is ours because he's given it to us, he's praying for us to be participants in the reality of Jesus Christ. He's praying for us to be incorporated into Jesus and to have Jesus operative in our own lives. He's talking about union. And he's talking, especially in Romans 12, about how God's mercy sets in motion the reality of this transformation that God's Spirit is working in us. This mercy that leads to a kind of development of humility and awareness of self, that leads to a kind of curiosity about what's going on and how God might be at work in others, that leads to an experience of empathy where we actually begin to understand some of the mind of Christ and understand some of the world of the other. These are all parts of what ultimately yields the fruit of intimacy, union, this integrated and genuine love, which is about making space for the other and the other occupying space in us and enjoying the space that the other makes for us. So I want to read the entire chapter today, Romans 12, all of it, and talk a little bit about this ultimate fruit of union, of intimacy with God and with one another that grows out of the love about which Paul writes. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection, outdoing one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints 
extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Your promise to us, O oh God, is to bring us to a place of completion, to grow in us that which you created us to be, people at one with you and people living in love with one another. So help us to grasp how you're at work in us and how you're at work in others to accomplish this end. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the scriptures in my life, other than the Bible, are the cartoons that appear in the New Yorker magazine. I, I love these cartoons. Sometimes they're hard to understand. Other times they just hit the nail on the head. And there's one that I've shared with you that came to mind today that I wanted to mention again to you. And that is the, a picture of a, of a man in a, a jogging outfit and he's got a headband on and his jogging shorts and his shoes and, and he's all togged out and he's talking to another person on the street. But he happens to have a cross on his shoulder, a big life-sized human cross, okay? I mean, not just a little cross around his neck, but he's carrying a cross as he's getting ready to run his race. And the caption, as he's talking to this other man, the caption is his voice saying, yes, I've decided to accept Jesus as my personal trainer. I love that image. I, I love just the irony of it because it's so true about, I think, what we as people of faith often do in the way we treat Jesus, quite frankly. We treat Jesus as a, a commodity that we deploy for our own purposes, like an app on your phone, the Jesus app or like a nutritional supplement that you take every morning. Jesus is something we deploy or ingest to help us with our own personal self-improvement project. That's why he exists, to make our lives better and to improve us. And we get to kind of determine where we deploy him in order to make that happen. We speak of receiving Jesus as our own personal savior, and that's true. There is a very personal and individual dimension of relationship with Jesus, but Jesus is much more than our personal savior. Jesus is the one in whom all things in the cosmos hold together. 
Jesus is the one in whom all of our lives are integrated. Jesus is much bigger than my personal Savior. It is true that he is my personal Savior, but as my theology professor Colin Brown used to say, true, but not adequate. (laughs) It suggests somehow that it all gets started only when we make space for him. That we pray the magic words at the back of the tract and somehow it all happens suddenly. We receive him as our personal savior. But it doesn't all start there. Because you see the process as Paul is talking about in Romans 12, the process of genuine love, of of growing into that love, of, of growing that love in us starts not with our choice to let it happen, but it starts with God's choice of extending mercy toward us. It starts not with us taking Jesus into our hearts. It starts with Jesus taking us into his heart and taking us with him everywhere he goes and going to places that suggests that what he's most interested in is understanding fully our experience as human beings. What we're talking about here is the give and take of relationship, of being loved and learning how to love. And that's what Paul calls genuine love that integrated love, that sense of feelings, words, actions, all working together because of a relationship with another. That that desire to know and be known of holding and being held is the operative reality that Paul is talking about. Relationship with God and with others. Relationship that keeps growing in deeper and deeper intimacy because we are holding one another in our hearts. God holding us in God's heart, us holding God in our hearts, we holding one another in our hearts. And what we've got in Romans 12 is the description of a kind of feedback loop, a a never-ending cycle of growing into deeper and deeper intimacy with God and with one another. It's almost like this ascending helix that just keeps eternally getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And all of that growth process is kicked off not because we give God the go-ahead, but because God chooses to reach out to us in mercy. So I'm just going to kind of summarize what I've done over the last five weeks today. Nothing more and nothing less. No no new information here. It's just saying the same thing again. And Paul starts out by telling us to rely on mercy. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice. Because of God's kindness, because of God's extension of himself, because of God's vulnerability, God's choice to make space for you, respond in kind. Make space for God. 
Respond to God's vulnerability by becoming vulnerable. Present your body, as he says, as a living sacrifice. Show up. Lay yourself on the line. Open up. Say yes to God's yes to you. And also, says Paul, say no to the things that will take your attention away from that mercy. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Do not allow this world to press you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what renews your mind? The kindness of God. Say yes to that kindness and say no to all that would block that mercy. Be transformed. Fidelity, my friends, is always a matter of a mixture of a yes and a no. It's a yes to what builds up and it's a no to what tears down. It's a wide and open reception to what will grow us and a choice to slam the door on what will diminish us. Fidelity is the mixture of yes and no. And so says Paul, let loving mercy transform and renew your mind so that you know what to say yes to and you know what to say no to. And let it do so also so that you can think clearly about or get a picture of your true self, who you actually are, good and bad, strong and weak. Another way to say it is let mercy inspire humility. That true sense of, of knowing that you're not that important, but that you're also dramatically important. That sense of significant insignificance, that sense that you are merely a creature of God, but one who is loved by God. Let mercy inspire humility. In other words, that understanding that I am neither as good or as bad as I paint myself to be, but that I can see my true reflection in the reflection of the loving face of God who won't take his gaze from me. Mercy makes us humble because it frees us to see who we actually are, to see ourselves as participants in something bigger than anything we could ever create for ourselves or manage for ourselves on some app or through some supplement diet. So Paul says, be humble, but he also says to us very clearly that humility opens us up to its close companion. Humility ultimately turns itself outward to curiosity and, and wonder. Curiosity is what happens when humility turns outward to the world, where there's a willful choice to begin to wonder and ask questions, to inquire into a world that is different from our own, and to look for where else God might be at work, trusting that God is indeed at work because mercy is his signature. It's allowing some aspect of the world of others ultimately to enter us through that curiosity and to grow in us and create that reality of empathy. And empathy is about making space for the feelings of others. Empathy is something that transforms us. And it transforms that cramped world born of a stunted imagination 
into the journey into a broad and open space that's defined by the pleasant boundaries of God's grace and love that just keep expanding. Mercy opens us to humility. Humility begets curiosity. Curiosity makes way for empathy. And empathy is that element that is so, so good at fostering intimacy, union. Union with one another, union with God, as Paul calls it, mutual affection that outdoes itself in showing one another honor. It's a self-perpetuating process. A self-perpetuating process of continuing the cycle of growing in deeper and deeper intimacy and experiencing the unfathomable love of God. We read Paul's description of that love and where he, he uses all four of those dimensions, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. We never come to the end of it, is what Paul is saying. It's why C.S. Lewis, when he depicts heaven and our journey that continues on the other side of death, he always talks about going further up and further in because we can't exhaust the grace and mercy of God. We never know it fully. And if we think we know it fully, we don't know anything. We're talking about union here, union with God and with others. And it's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. It's actually pretty scary, and that's why we'd rather have the religious app or the spiritual supplement that we can control. Because intimacy is something that grabs a hold of us and takes us to places we would never go apart from that union. It demands much more of us. It is laying our lives on the line. It is showing up in that way that presents our bodies as a living sacrifice. Union. I can't hear that word without hearing Father Gregory Elmer, a Benedictine monk who had a profound effect on my life and Christian growth. I can't help but hear his exposition on Genesis 2 and 3. The end of Genesis 2, what does it say about the man and the woman after creation? It says they were naked and not ashamed. And then in Genesis 3, what happens? They stop thinking that God is for them. They run the other direction from God. And what do they do? They hide. They cover up. And Gregory says this. He says, you see, we always cover up when we feel the shame of, that goes along with running from relationship. We cover up because, you see, nakedness is for union. And we don't want union anymore, so we can't be vulnerable anymore. In the face of disobedience and mistrust, the man and the woman hide, they cover up, and no longer want to be naked, for they no longer want union. And if we do not want relationship with God, then we will find layers to put over us 
to insulate us from it. That's sin. And it can be born of brokenness and wound and injury. It can be born of willfulness and anger and rebellion. But that's what it means to stop being interested in relationship. It is to cover up and put as much between us and God as we can possibly put. But if we want relationship, we respond to God's vulnerability. That even death on a cross line in Philippians 2. That sense of humility that ultimately enters into the worst of our experience and experiences empathy with the experience of betrayal and death. If we want relationship, we respond to that kind of vulnerability from God and Christ. We experience God's mercy and we learn how to be merciful. The way of faith, the path that we walk with Jesus is not simply a matter of accepting a set of theological propositions. It's a journey that leads toward union with God. It is presenting our naked selves to God in response to the naked love of God that he has lavished upon us. And Jesus says it well. Take, eat, this is my body. Take, eat, and come and feed on the mercy that I bring. Because feeding on this mercy is what will make you merciful and the world a place that knows the grace of God. Let's pray. Lord, help us to receive and give mercy. To know that we belong body and soul in life and in death, not to ourselves, but to you. And to freely move into that truth because we have experienced your choice to reach out to us. So make us vulnerable, Lord, just as you have been vulnerable. Make us merciful just as you have been merciful. Help us to experience what you have done for us. And so reflect that to our world. And we pray this in your name. Amen.